8. The last word of our Savior here in this gospel, the gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. Right here at the end of this gospel. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Not just some of the authority. All the authority. And as the results of all this authority that Jesus Christ received from his father. Verse 19. He said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them, and skip to verse 20, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. How many things? All things. No exceptions. Make disciples. Here, Matthew doesn't even mention that we're supposed to preach the gospel. He said, go to the nations and make disciples. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? What does it mean? What does it mean to be a disciple? To be a learned one. To distinguish intellectually what is true and what is not true. To know the difference. To make disciple of Jesus Christ and observe all things. Question. Are you? Are you the disciple of Christ? Do you observe or are you keeping all things that Christ commanded you? That's another question. If you're a disciple and if you can keep all that Christ commanded you, then maybe we are ready to go and teach the others. You see how important it is? There is a flow to it. You need to observe, you need to keep before you start to teach others what Christ is all about, what the gospel is all about. Why I'm saying all these things? As an introduction to my message about the Passover. Because naturally come another question. Did Christ keep and observe the Passover? We live in a day and age that some people say that he did it. If we are the disciples, that we should follow what he did. So let's look at it. Let's examine the New Testament. Just a few gospels that we have it here. Matthew chapter 26. Just flip back a few pages. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 1. As we go through some of the text, just try to count how many times we come across the word Passover. Now it came to pass, verse 1, Matthew chapter 26, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all the saying that he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover. He didn't say, hey, after two days we'll have a supper and after three days will be the Passover. He didn't say that. He's very conscious in what time he is 
at this moment. He knows that after two days, he said, after two days is the Passover. And the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Now, skip down. So how many times we mentioned this word, he's mentioned the word Passover? Once, right? Now skip down to verse 17. Now comes a little bit confusion here. Some people look at this thing and think like, what's going on? It's verse 17. Now on the first day of an, first day of the feast of unleavened bread, so here you can notice the days of, um, day of the feast is in italic, so it's not in the original. And it's actually the words the first can be also translated as the beginning. So now on the beginning of the unleavened bread, the disciple came to Jesus saying to him, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? That's the second time already. Prepare and eat the Passover. And he said, verse 18, and he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand and I will keep the Passover, the third time, at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the what? The Passover, the fourth time. And now verse 20. When the evening had come, not when just the afternoon had come, specific timing is not 2 o'clock in the afternoon, not 3 o'clock in the afternoon, not 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It's right at the evening time. And when the evening had come, he sat down with the 12. And now as they were eating, he said, well, wait a minute. Remember what Pastor Mori just, you know, a few weeks back when he was talking about the Passover experience? What they were doing? They were sitting and what they were doing? They were eating. What they were eating? The few crackers of bread and sipping a little, little, little cup of wine? No, they were eating. They had a full meal. They were eating. He said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And now, skip to verse 26. Verse 26. And again, as they were eating, not they were standing or not they were just sitting, as they were eating, look what happened. During the supper, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciple and said, take, eat it. This is my blood. I'm not going to go through the whole Matthew account story. I just wanted to show you how many times we notice this word Passover mentioned in just one single account. About four times, right? Let's go to the Gospel of Luke now. Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. And we'll start right there at verse 1. Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, and in verse 1. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called Passover. A little clarification. You were confused at the Matthew beginning. Now, Luke Luke just clarifies a little bit more. He's just saying, the Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread it can be lumped together, and some people used to call it, I used to call all of this festival together, I usually call it the Passover feast. That's what I call it. But there is a Passover and feast of leavened bread all together. And as you skip here to verse 7, so the Passover mentioned here, look, mentioned already once. Verse 7, then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. Remember, 
those fish are together, right? The Passover is mentioned the second time. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare what? The supper? No, go and prepare the Passover. That's the third time for us that we may eat. And now, as we skip to verse 11, then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the fourth time? I may eat what? Passover with my disciples. And then it will show you a large furnished upper room. Therefore, make ready. Verse 13. So they went and found it just as he said it, just as he said to them. And they prepare what? The Passover, the fifth time. The second witness. Now, skip to verse 14. When the hour had come, again, specific time of the day, not 2 o'clock, not 3 o'clock, not 4 o'clock in the afternoon, when the hour had come, he sat down with 12 apostles with him, And then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The Passover here is mentioned six times. Six times already. So we see almost like over the ten times just the two gospel accounts. We pay details to attentions, right? Now let's go back to Mark. Let's go to, let's go back to Mark. Chapter 14. And verse 1. Mark chapter 14, verse 1. After two days, it was the Passover and the unleavened bread. Again, Passover mentioned once. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. Skip down to verse 13. And he sent out his two disciples and said to them, go into the city and a, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water and follow him. And wherever he, go, he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciple? Again, that's the Mark account. Whatever Christ experienced on that day. So we see Passover mentioned the second time. And then he will show you a large upper room, furnish and prepare, there make ready for us. And verse 16. So his disciple went out and came into the city and found it just as he said it to them. And they prepared what? They prepared a Passover. Now, many people speculate always each year, did Christ eat the Passover lamb on the night? I can't prove it word for word from the Bible that he did. But I can guarantee you that they definitely had a Passover lamb on the table on that night. How do we know that? Mark chapter here, the same verse, the same chapter, verse 12. Read the words very carefully. Now on the first day on leavened bread, the festival is marked together. The Passover and leavened bread can be used interchangeably, right? Don't be confused. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they kill the Passover lamb. The question is, who were they and who killed the Passover lamb? They were not the priests. 
was the disciples. When they killed the Passover, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? You can't go, you can't go around these verses. No matter how hard you can try, you can't go around them and dismiss them. Which is basically impossible. Biblically, impossible. Now, Paul was a disciple of Christ. Would you agree? He learned how to observe all things. Did he teach his disciples to observe all things? First Corinthians chapter 11. The scripture that was read today for us by Brother Bob. Thank you so much for reading it. First Corinthians chapter 11. Paul who wrote this letter decades later. Right here it says in verse 23. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23. For I received from the Lord. That which I also delivered to you, the direct teaching coming from Lord through Paul to his disciples. Direct teaching. Not with, not just because I think or I, I speculate or, you know, I just want to say it. He's saying, no, the same thing that I received from the Lord. And he's saying that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, on which night he was betrayed. There's no questions about it, right? We know. Right at the beginning of the Passover day. Take it. Take it. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took cup. And look when he took the cup. In the same manner, he took the cup when? At the beginning of the supper? During the supper? When he took the cup? After Supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Little details in there. But the question is, do we follow the men's tradition? Or do we follow the Bible? Is that important? I don't know. How is that important to you? Now, why Jesus Christ had to die on this specific day? One Jesus Christ had to make a covenant with his disciples on this specific day. And people, most people would say that Jesus Christ Fulfill the Exodus Passover. But it's actually that's just the beginning of the story. It's way more than that. And we're going to find out a little bit later. Now, go to Hebrew chapter 6. Why Jesus Christ had to die on a specific time of the day 
Why did he establish a covenant with his disciple on a specific time of the day? What he was fulfilling. Hebrews chapter 6. Why this particular day was so important to God? Hebrews chapter 6. And look at verse 13. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. And now in verse 14, we have actually quote from Genesis chapter 22, verse 16 and 17. But this is not the original promise that God gave to Abraham. Where the original promise came from? At what chapter? Genesis chapter 12. Just to refresh our memories. Hold your place in Hebrew here. In Hebrew. Hold your place in Hebrew. And go to Genesis chapter 12. And verse 2. You should all know and memorize the scriptures by now. We repeat this so often. But let's just refresh our memory. Genesis chapter 12. It is the first time that God made a specific promise to Abram. In verse 2 it says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the initial initial promise that God made to Abram, right? As you go over to Genesis chapter 22. Flip over to Genesis chapter 22 and hold your place in Hebrew. Genesis chapter 22. In verse 16. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son your only son, verse 17, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will be multiplying your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. It's built up on the original promise that God made to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. Go back to Hebrews. So you have an idea what kind of promise God made. Hebrews chapter 6. Go back there. So now we have the context. For when God made a promise to Abraham, and we know what the promise was to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Verse 16. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. And you sometimes you hear people in a conversation, when they have a, you know, let's say an argument or disagreement or something like that, when men have no any other way to prove that my mentions was like that. I swear God that I didn't do it. What do they do? Because I don't have I don't have any other witness. I just swear by somebody who is greater than me, just to just to telling you, believe me, that I swear by this higher being who is the witness that I'm telling you the truth. Who is higher than God? No one. He is the highest. Verse 17. Does God? Determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise, to the heirs of promise, 
the immutability of his counsel. What was God's counsel? What was God's promise? He says to Abram, this is my promise that I promise to you as a God. This is God's counsel. If I speak this word, if I say this word, this should be enough for you to believe because I am God. And what I say, I can't take my words back as we do. I am God. I can't do this thing. If I speak, if I say, I will have to accomplish this. If I ever fail to accomplish what I say, that I am as a human being and I am a liar. That's basically what it means. I am God. If I say something, that should be good enough for you to believe. That my words are true. So he said, in verse 18, that by two immutable things. What are the two immutable things? It's right here. In which it's impossible for God to lie. You see, it's impossible for God to lie. What are the two impossible we may have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. So God made a promise. He spoke. He uttered his words. He made a promise. And he gave an oath. And on top of that, there's two witnesses. Because God said and God promised. God said an oath. And it's more to this. We'll see. God made a covenant which he you cannot back off from it. That he's saying to Abram, What I promise you, you can be assured that I will accomplish it. That's basically what it means. But I'm leading into it. You'll find out very soon. Genesis chapter fourteen. Genesis chapter fourteen. This is a very interesting chapter. Not going to read chapters, whole chapters, 14 words for words. But just, just a quick introduction here. Abram and his nephew Lot, they're separated. They all go each own way. The one decided to settle in the city because it's more convenient to live in the city. Everything is close by. You know, we have your own place that you don't have to move all the time. You know where you put your own things. Everything is at the convenience. And there are many people around you. You want a party, whatever you want to do it, you live in a place like that. That would suit most of our most of our expectations. That's why people love to congregate in the city. Abraham decided to be a wanderer. I'll wait on God and on his promise. And I'm going to take it into my own hands. So these two lives were separated. Lot is in trouble here in chapter 14. When you live in the cities, the trouble will come on you from time to time. There is a war. He's just the casualty of war. Innocent casualty of war, but he's the casualty of war. The message gets to Abram that, you know, something horrible happened to your nephew. So here in verse 12, Genesis chapter 14, just verse 12, they also took the one messenger informs Abram what happened. In verse 12, they also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. He's in trouble. He lost everything. As much as he was so prosperous, now he lost everything. In a matter of one day, as a result of war, he lost everything. 
Skip to verse 14. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318, 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went into pursuit as far as Dan. This one gentleman who is old at this age, who doesn't have any children, but he's got slave in his home, about 318. And we might think that 318 is a lot. But as you read the chapters, there was involvement of five kings. There was a huge war going on. Okay? What's going to happen here soon? This is a miracle. This is a huge miracle. Okay? So what happened? In verse 16, So he brought back all the goods, and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. Think about it. He rescued everybody, not just the people. He rescued all the money, all the gold, all the silver, whatever valuable possessions they had. He rescued everything he brought back. This is a great miracle. Now, I want you to picture thing, picture this thing in your head. Abram is a great man. He is a warrior. He defeated the enemy. He could enslave everybody around him. Everybody. And he could proclaim himself, I am the king of the Middle East. He could have done that. Picture this in your head. You coming so victorious on the way from victory. You coming back. And there is something about to happen. Something about to happen. Two kings approach Abraham. Two kings. And he will make a choice. He will make a choice. I told you. He couldn't enslave all of them. And proclaim himself. I am the king of the Middle East. I own you, all of you. You are all my slaves. I am rich. He could have done so. Read it. Verse 17. So picture this thing. You're coming back from a great successful war. There is one king coming to you. Verse 17. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley, at the king's valley. It's interesting, right? He's going to meet Abraham at the king's valley. Verse 18. There is another king. At the same time, another king is coming. Then Melchizedek, the king of Solomon, is coming to meet Abraham. Picture this thing. Melchizedek on one side. King of Sodom is on the other side. And you are in the middle. Which guy are you going to pick and choose? Let's keep reading about the king of Sodom. Now verse 21. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram. Look how arrogant this king is. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram. Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. Abram could say. You have nothing to say what you want. I can do what I want. You're my slave. But he's got a nerve to say. Hey, I will pay you. You take all the goods. It's okay. You take the goods. Just give me the people. Once I have the people, I will establish my kingdom. Because without people, what kind of king I'm going to be? Who's going to serve me? 
when I'm a king. If I don't have any people. So yeah, you take all the money. I'll take all the people back and, you know, I'll stand on my feet eventually one day. But you take all the money, right? But look at Abraham's response. He could, he, could, he could have taken all, everything. He could have. But Abraham said, verse 22, he said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a tread to a sandal strap and that I will not take anything that is yours. Why? This you should say, I have made Abraham rich. How many of you would say like, wow, this is a fortune. I could be rich for the rest of my life. I wouldn't have to do a thing. Just confiscating all the goods. And you know, these people should be thankful. Because you know what? As a king, I'm going to give them some kind of a freedom here. He says, no, I don't want your wealth. I don't want your people. I don't want you anything. What belongs to you? Why? Because I'm waiting for a special promise that God gave it to me a long time ago. And I'm in fa- I am faithful. I'll be faithful to the rest of my life. Verse 18. There is another king. What is this king offering to Abram? The other king offers him wealth. You take the money. What's the other king is offering him? Then Melchizedek king, verse 18. King of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was the priest. God, most high, the bread and wine. Wait a minute. I thought that Christ instituted a new symbol for the Passover in the form of bread and wine. What is Melchizedek doing there with bread and wine? Is this the First Passover in the Bible? Or the Exodus 12 is the first Passover in the Bible? Let's see. Let's find out. Let's see if we have any clues here. Exodus chapter 12. Hold your place in Genesis here. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 40. Or did you place in Genesis? Are we looking for clues? So the children of Israel on their way out of Egypt. Verse 40. Exodus chapter 12, verse 40. Now the sojourn, the whole time, of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. The exact number. 430 years. Verse 41. And it came to pass, not in the middle, not at the beginning, but at the end of 430 years, on that very same day, or self-same day, if you have a King James Version, on self-same day, it came to pass 
Then all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. And because of this great miracle that happened on the self-same day, verse 42, it says, because of this thing, what happened here? It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generation. Why this day is so important? After 430 years, self-same day, to the year, to the month, to the week, and to the time of the day. Why did this is so important? Go back to Exodus, Genesis chapter 14. We have some clues here, right? Something happened on the self-same day of what? Self-same day of what? Genesis chapter 15. And look at verse 13. God, it says here, verse 13. Now he said to Abram, No certainly the Jew descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. When God made the promise to Abram, in Genesis chapter 12, was 430 years. Now it's 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possession. What, are we, what, what, what he's talking to Abram here? What is God talking to Abram about what? About the great exodus that's going to take place 400 years from this time. Now as for you, Abram, don't worry about it. You're not going to see this thing. But as for you, Abram, you shall go to your father in peace. You shall be buried at good old age. But in the four generations, they shall return here. For the inequity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And skip to verse 18. Okay? Verse 18. On the same day, on the self-same day, the Lord made a covenant, a covenant with Abram, saying, what's the covenant is all about? Look what the covenant is all about. To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, and you can measure it how huge, how great is this land. And let me tell you, this prophecy that God made to Abram right here in verse 18 and 19 has never, ever been fulfilled yet. Even at the Israel greatest time under the King Solomon, they had never ever territory the way how it's described here, what God promised to Abram. Now, self same day. Self same day you have the connection. Genesis chapter fifteen, self same day, talking about the Egypt slavery. Exodus chapter twelve, verse forty, self same day, the walking out of Egypt on the self same day. Why? Is this the Passover time? Okay, let's read it again. The Melchizedek, Genesis 14, verse 18. King of Solomon brought out bread and wine. What if that's the same timing when Melchizedek come with bread and wine, exactly the same timing when Christ is sitting with his disciples at the table and he does the same thing 
come to them with bread and wine. Is it possible? Self same day? Absolutely it's possible. Chapter 15. Oh, hold on before we go there. So let's see what he said. Melchizedek. Verse 19. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. That was a great miracle, what Abram accomplished with his 318 men. A miracle. It doesn't say in the Bible that any of his men lost a life by doing this thing. It was a great, great miracle. And again, what would be your response? And what was Abram's response? He could take the money from the other king, but he, he denied. And he look what he says here. And he gave him a tithe of all. To the king of Salem, Melchizedek, Abram decided to give him a tithe. What does it mean when you give somebody a tithe? You recognize that somebody has authority over you. You recognize that somebody is God above you, and that's how you worship him. And you're giving. You give him a tithe. Now, let me just clarify here something, because people, some people think there is a mistranslation when you read the Hebrews. It might be a little bit complicated, and I always like to point it to people. Because as you study the story here in, in chapter 14, you see that Abraham refused to take anything from the king of Sodom, right? He didn't take any money, absolutely nothing. He didn't take anything from this, from this man. Go to, hold your place here. Go to Hebrew chapter 7 now. Hebrew chapter 7. Because language is important. Words are very important. Hebrew chapter 7 and verse 4. a little mistranslation here. We can check it a little bit later. But let's read the verse 4. Hebrew chapter 7, verse 4. Now consider how great this man was. Who was this man? Abraham, right? Abraham. To whom even the patriarch Abraham, well, Melchizedek, I apologize. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth. And it says in my New King James Version, he says, he gave a tenth of the spoils. When you look at the original wording, actually, it's not supposed to be a spoil because that wouldn't make any sense because we just read in Genesis chapter 14 that he didn't take anything from the other kings. Not a single penny, not a single dollar or whatever currencies you want to show there. He didn't take anything from these people. So how can he give a tenth from the spoil if he didn't take anything? He gave a tenth of his own possession. Keep this thing in your mind. Not from the spoil of war. That was not his. It's easy to give something if it doesn't belong to you. It's easy to give something that doesn't belong to you. It's more difficult to give something that you actually had to work hard for it. And it's even easier to sacrifice something that you work so hard for it. An offering is supposed to be time of a sacrifice. Not of a time of the leftover. Go back. Genesis chapter 14. 
So this Melchizedek comes with bread and wine. And forget the chapter break. Because this is confusing. You think that we now we move on to a different story now. It's the same story. Chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, what things? Some, you know, Abraham went something to eat somewhere to somebody, visit somebody. What things? Some huge things, important things. The miracles things. After all these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, Can you walk on the street and have a vision? Can you? Is it possible to walk and have a vision? Is it? I think it's more likely when you sleep that you have a vision. I think so. I'm not saying it's impossible with God, but I think it's most likely when you sleep that people get the vision. Okay? Let's see. And Abram get the vision. When did he get this vision? After all these things, after all these things, after whatever happened, all this, one king on one side, the other king on the other side, he took the bread and wine after all these things. God speak to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord, God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless. He doesn't have any children. He have these 380 men that were born, the men of strength and courage will fight for that for this man. I said, I don't have any of my own children. You made a promise to me. How is this thing going to be accomplished? Then Abram said, look, verse 3, you have given me no offspring, and in one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but the one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And look, verse 5. Is this a vision again? Or is this something something that happened life? You go outside. Then he brought him outside and said, when you go outside, right, you can see it. You can see with your own eyes. When he brought him outside, he said, look. Look now towards heaven and count the stars. When you look towards heaven and you see the stars, you can count them. There's not a daytime portion, right? It's got to be a nighttime portion. So the stars are all visible. Now, as you number this, then he said to them, so shall your descendants be, uncountable. I will multiply them like the stars in the sky. Won't be able to count them. And he's old. He's 90 years old. He doesn't have his own children. When God is speaking these words to him. But he's a man of faith. And look what happened, verse 6. And he believed in, in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abram believed in every single word that God said. Every single one. The father of the faith. The example for all of us to follow. Verse 7. I am the Lord. And then he said to him, I am the Lord 
who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. Did Abram ever inherited this land in his lifetime? No. Never ever happened. Verse 8. Then he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? You see, before I said to you, a few years back when I was doing the same thing, I told you that Abram at this time was lacking faith. No, he's not. He's not. Because we just read it. He had this full faith. He's saying, how are you going to accomplish this thing? Because I can't understand. In my human terms, I just can't grasp how are you, God, going to accomplish all those this thing that you are promising me? Help me. Help me understand. So now, you see it? When, he, when did he see the stars? During the night. When he had the bread and wine at the beginning of the evening. Exactly the same time when Jesus Christ sat with his disciples at the table when the hour had come. Now, the night is over. The night, the Passover night. Now we're moving to the daylight portion of the night, of the day. And verse 8. One more time. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I'll inherit it? And God says something here. Verse 9. So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then he brought all this to him and cut them into down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. The time of the sacrifice. When you bring the animal, when you bring the animal for a sacrifice, it can be the night. It's got to be the next day. It's got to be the morning. It's got to be the, the day portion of the day. Abram is doing all this difficult job, cutting all the animals in half, putting them opposite each other. That's exactly the same time when our Christ was beaten, was tortured, was spitten. Exactly the same time. Exactly the same thing. And now here, as he doing all this thing, verse 12. Now when the sun was going down, the sun is not down yet. It's not sunset yet. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. One more time. God puts him to sleep. I don't want you to be fully awake. Because you cannot handle it. I'd rather you be at sleep. So we can talk about the details. So when the sun was going down. A deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold. A horror. And a great darkness. Fell upon him. And if you want to check it. You don't need to go there. But you can write it down. You go to Matthew chapter 27 and verse 45. When Christ was on the tree, hanging on the trees, there was a great darkness that came upon the earth for three hours, exactly the same time. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. And then he said to Abram, verse 13, and we read the scripture, but now we have the whole context to all of this thing. The sun is going down, the day is not over yet. Afternoon hours, the Christ is about to die on the cross. 
Then he said to Abraham, Now certainly that your descendants will be strangers, your land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possession. And now as for you, you shall go to your father in peace, and you shall be buried at good old age. But in the four generations they shall return here, for the inequity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And look what happened at verse 17. When you want to have the specific portion of the day of the hour. And it came to pass when? When? When the sun, when the sun went down and it was dark, the Passover is over, we're moving into the first day of eleven bread. When it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces when Abraham was sleeping. That passed between the pieces, we call it the blood covenant. There is nothing more serious in the Bible than blood covenant, right? God says to Abraham, you sleep, I'll walk between the pieces. I would die for you, but my words, what I promise to you, will be fully, fully accomplished. Otherwise, I'm a liar. That's what God is saying. I put my words, I put my reputations, I put my name online here talking to you in generations ahead of time. That's that, that's wonderful. What a God we serve. And now look what happened. Verse 18. On the self same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, and whatever. You can read the rest of it. On the self same day. Now, if you go to one more time, Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. On the self same day, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 40. And now, it came to pass, actually verse 41, and it came to pass on the end of 430 years, on the very same, on the self same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out of the land of Egypt. On the self same day that God made the covenant with Abraham, on the self same day, the children of Israel walking out of Egypt. Let's pause here for a moment and think what we, what we have just learned here. What Christ did, this is not just a little fulfillment of the Exodus chapter 12 story. Because we like to compare the Exodus chapter 12 and what happened to Jesus Christ on the day. He said, Christ was the Passover lamb. Absolutely true. But the Passover lamb did not take away the sins of the world. Not in Exodus chapter 12. Actually, nothing mentioned it about taking away the sins. It's just the slaying of the lamb. What Jesus Christ did on the tree it's fulfillment, not of Exodus chapter 12. This is a partial fulfillment. But what happened in Jesus Christ on the tree is the fulfillment what happened here to Abraham chapter 14 and chapter 15. God is just the opening another door, another venue, so he can fulfill what he promised to Abraham right back then. Can you see the similarity? 
It's amazing. How can you not have a faith? How can your faith not be increased when you study these details like that? When Christ sat down with his disciples at an hour, specific hour, at the specific time, that was exactly the same time, the same moment, when Melchizedek came to meet Abram with bread and with the wine. Not amazing? Just ask them. Now, mathematically speaking, some of you are very gifted mathematically, right? Some of you took some class, statistic class, right? What would be the probability of when a human being to pull out something like that, to fulfill this major event on God's calendar at the specific season, at the specific month, at the specific day, and at the specific hour? What would be the probability? Can President Trump accomplish something like that? The biggest, with the biggest army on this entire universe. Can he perform something like that to the detail? Who can? Only God of the universe. As we come closer to the season, as we reflect on this enormous sacrifice, what Christ did, why did he do it? Because the mission had to be accomplished, whatever happened in Genesis. Christ just couldn't let it go. He had to do it. As you reflect on this, as you reflect on this sacrifice, personally, think for a moment. What is standing between you and God that is causing you to drift apart? What is standing between you and this great creator that because you may have some doubts, that you may have some confusion, your mind might be blurred for a moment. You don't know where you're going, what you're doing, how it's happening, what all this thing all is about. How? No matter what Satan is showing at you, no matter with what you're dealing in your life, What about this promise? Abram has been dead for thousands of years. And God is still answering Abram's prayer. Think about it. Is it possible that you might go to the ground, not be even aware what's happening, and God will still answering your prayers, that you pray all your life for something. Think about it. Is it possible? Absolutely. What a great God we serve. Do we realize what a great God, what a knowledge we have? What do we do with it? How we transfer this knowledge that will energize us, that will put us on fire, 
to be truly his disciples. Fully obedient to the death. Going and making the disciples. What's going to take for us to be like that? And now, not everything is accomplished. What God promised to Abram, what Christ did on the on the tree, this is not the end of it. This is not even the beginning of it. How many of you can remember the, the sermon the pastor agent gave about the second exodus? How many of you can remember that? What do you think? Second Exodus. What is this thing all about? Oh, you don't know what I'm talking about, right? Let me refresh your memory. Jeremiah chapter 16. Let's give me a few verses here. Because we think that whatever Christ accomplished, this is everything. Just like, 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 you know, we have a mark line. Like, you know, before cross and after cross. And there's like a, no. There is something, there is something waiting to be accomplished. Jeremiah chapter 16. Just go through some of the old prophets. Jeremiah chapter 16. Just a few verses here and there. Jeremiah chapter 16 verse 14. That's what Jeremiah is saying. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord lives who brought you, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. Think about it. As huge as this miracle was, bringing the army, the children of Israel out of Egypt, God says, this was nothing. Another miracle, even greater miracle than this, it's coming. When is this coming? Never happened so far in our history, so it's got to be something in the future, right? But the Lord lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of north, from all the lands where he had driven them. For I will bring them back into the land which I gave to their fathers. You know why? You see, when people give you a date about that Jesus Christ will come on November 16 or September 17, when people give you these dates, you know what you should say? You should say, this is not true. Oh, how do you know? I said, I know. Because Jesus Christ will never come on any September, any November, any June, or any March, or any April. You know how I know that? Because every single feast was accomplished so far according to God's calendar, not to man's calendar. Either be the Passover, either be the trumpets, either be the days of unleavened bread. No November 16th or 17th or April 14th. Forget these days. When people make you predictions like that, just turn around and say, God be with you. It will never, ever happen. Because things will happen on the God's calendar. They will happen on his time and on his calendar, not on our human calendar. That's the one thing. Another one, Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. I'm just going to give you this few scripture. We are still waiting for the fulfillment. The full fulfillment. What God promised to Abram. He's not an inheritor of the Middle, of the Middle East. He would never even was for a second. He died. Even his children never accomplished what was promised to them. So it's got to be a future they set for us. Isaiah chapter 11. And verse 11. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time. Not the first time. Again the second time. What are we talking about? To recover the remnant of his people who are what? From Assyria, from Egypt, from Patros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar. All over the place. Verse 12. 
He will set up a banner for the nations and, and, and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth, not just from, not just from Egypt. As great as this miracle was, this one that is coming is going to be even greater. This is another Passover miracle that's going to be fulfilled. Don't just think that whatever happened in Exodus 12, that was, you know, just the fulfillment of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That was just the fulfillment of everything. No, this is just the beginning. Isaiah chapter 2. Just one more. Isaiah chapter, Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter day that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and he shall be exalted above, above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Doesn't happen it today? As much as you can see that, you know, yeah, we live in a Christian culture, so to speak. No, we don't. It's going to happen. Many people, verse 3, many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountains of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go for the law. Was this thing ever accomplished in the human history? I am not aware of it. Are you? If it wasn't accomplished, it says in the latter day. When is that going to be accomplished? We're waiting for another Passover miracle. Another Passover miracle. What about us? I'm not an Israelite. My forefathers didn't come from the land of Judah. But I'm a disciple. Are you a disciple of Christ? Are you a disciple of Christ? Does it bother you if you don't know something, if you don't understand something? Where do you like to invest your future in? Where do you put all your effort in? Tough question. Tough question, but if you're a disciple, if you are Christ's disciple, not Peter's disciple, not Paul's disciple. Not my disciple. No pastor agent's disciple. No pastor murder's disciple. Are you Christ's disciple? Are you? If you are. Let me conclude here with a few scriptures here at the end. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 29. I'll give you, give you a second to go there. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you 
in my Father's kingdom. Did you get it? Did you really get it, what it says here? Would you like to have a drink with Jesus Christ? Are you his disciple? Are you his disciple? Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 and verse 28. Are you Christ's disciple? Verse 28. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And because I have all the authority given to me by my Father. Not some authority. All the authority. And I bestow upon you a kingdom. Just as my Father bestow one upon me. Did you really get it what the Bible says? Can you really pay attention to the details? That you may eat. And drink at my, at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Are you a disciple? Let's conclude in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Verse 35 and 37. Luke chapter 12 and verse 35. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourself be like men who wait for the master. When he will return from the wedding... Then when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he, and he already demonstrated by washing the disciples' feet on the Passover evening, and he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come. And serve them. That's amazing. We serve a God. Of a great miracle. The God of the universe. And nothing happened with our God by chance. Or by accident. He is the master of the entire universe. As we prepare as to just a few days as we have left. And I know how crazy busy this time of the year is. On the physical level. Trying to clean everything and all the other stuff. Which is great. 
but try just to match it. All the effort that you put on, this, on, the, on the physical level, try to match it on the spiritual level, at least time-wise. Don't spend all your time on the physical aspect of it and neglect the, the spiritual aspect of it. Try to balance, balance it out. Do a thorough job on both, of, both sides. Because this time, we were going to sit together and as much as we're going to complain, you know, like I know it's late and I know we have to cook so many meals. Think about Jesus Christ, what he had to go through. So whatever we have to do just to honor it, this is nothing, nothing in comparison. So may God bless you all. And let me ask, ask you at the end one more time the same question. Are you? Are you the disciple of Christ? Are you observing all things that Christ commanded you to observe? If you do, don't forget to teach the others. May God bless you all. So after this prayer, we'll say goodbye to our audience on the Internet, and we'll continue in our Sabbath worship service. I'll ask you to stand now just to honor God and do the final the sermon closing prayer. Just give me a second here just to collect my thoughts. Oh, great and loving Father, as we prepare, Father, for this great and awesome time of this Passover time that's just ahead of us, Father, help us. Help us just to be like Abraham was. Help us to have this faith that will move the Mountains. He didn't want to know the details, Father. All he wanted, he just wanted to have your assurance that you will accomplish what you promised to him. And he believed. And so we do. Father, this is a time of year that many people will go through horrible things. Satan, the devil, will do all kinds of distractions in God's people. Help us to come victorious. Help us to be able to distinguish and to separate what is holy and what is unholy. Help us to spend more time on things that are holy and profitable than instead of the things that are unholy and distracted, and destroying. Father, please bless your people, no matter where they may be. And I know here in our congregation that many people go through different struggles. Help us all, Father, as we come together in the next few days. I will come together on this evening, on Thursday night. They will all be ready, physically and spiritually. And that you will open our minds, open our hearts, and you will help us to realize what an awesome God you are and what a great sacrifice your son did for all of us. So, Father, thank you for all this blessing. 
thank you for all the knowledge and all the understanding that we have. And give us, Father, this wisdom that we may be a profitable disciples. That we will know how to observe all things and be able to teach others. Father, we thank you and we ask you all these things in other name. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Remaining standing, brethren, and thank you, um, Brother Jan, for that wonderful sermon. Look forward to our discussion afterwards, and also uh, 